Today on the Pollinator Podcast, before you start with why, make sure you start with this. Today on the Pollinator Podcast, a man that can help you focus on the opportunities that you may be missing right in front of your face. Zach Stuckey, thank you very much for joining us today on the Pollinator Podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure, Will. I'm, I'm super excited to be here and just talk all about customers' jobs. And, and, you know, that's what, uh, what actually got you the, the invitation in, uh, in the beginning. This is, uh, this is the, the first of these podcasts that, uh, that I've done with somebody that I've, ever, I've never actually met, uh, you know, in person or real life. And, and you know, we just kind of met engaging in a, uh, in a business group on Facebook. And, uh, you know, you uh, threw out some stuff on Facebook and you wanted to fight. And so, you know, we got into uh, to a fight on Facebook and that was cool. But uh, not not real. We had a uh, we had a really great discussion around marketing, and uh, anybody that has followed me for no, no uh, follows me for a while knows that uh, I am a big fan of Simon Sinek, and uh, you know I've read all his books, and and uh, that TED talk at the very beginning really kind of solidified for me, uh, you know, around the golden circle and start with why and all those things. Uh, you know, real it, it came kind of a base philosophy for for and a framework for, for how I look at a lot of things. And then this guy comes in on Facebook and he's just like, yeah, this thing is wrong. They're like, fight me. <laughs> like, all right, bro, let's go. And, uh, and so we got into it, but really it all comes down to, to the frameworks that we use and, and, you know, no framework is, is perfect in all situations and is useful in, in all scenarios. And some people will look from different perspectives and things will make difference. And uh, the, the perspective and the, the framework that you like to operate from, I found to be very interesting and I'm sure, I'm sure will be useful for folks as well. So uh, I'm glad you could come on today and talk about it. So why don't you tell us, tell us a little bit about that, but, but first tell us a little bit about your journey too. Like, what is it that sure. you actually do and, uh, and how are you working with folks and, and what, what's the path that brought you there to, to ultimately this philosophy now that, that you kind of put into practice? Sure. So, um, you know, when I was in high school, I actually wanted to be a playwright. And uh, I spent two years serving as a missionary for my church in Taiwan. And while I was in Taiwan, I decided that I wanted to go into business um, because I had some some very influential mentors. And so came back from that and started going to business school and got really into entrepreneurship. And I had a mentor who introduced me to the golden circle actually. And I was, I was actually a really big fan of Simon Sinek and, and I was, uh, you know, really big into that. Um, as I went along, I, I got my education and started working in industry and I read this book how Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. And if you haven't read this, I highly recommend it. Um, it's a great book that talks all about measuring the impact of what you do based on the good that you can produce in the world. But he, Clayton Christensen is the guy who came up with like the theory of disruptive innovation. So anytime you hear someone say uh, disruptive innovation or really just innovation in period in an entrepreneurial sense, they're talking about this guy and they're probably misinterpreting what he wrote. 
So read this book, one of the chapters talks all about this jobs theory. And so that was kind of my first introduction. And I started to apply it in a business context of just understanding what this job is that the customers are actually hiring you to do in the sense that, um, you know, these customers have this job that they need you to do, and it may not necessarily be the job that you think it is. So started uh, applying that in a business context and working in with different businesses from um, the medical space where I worked in high risk obstetrics and urology to, uh, you know, tech startups to uh, MSPs or, or uh, managed service providers who, who handle company IT um, and just kind of everywhere in between home services like electric heating, plumbing and air, just kind of running the gamut and applying this concept there and just helping businesses grow as a result. Some of the businesses that I worked with have seen 40% year over year growth rates for several years. Um, I created one plan that, that is projected to produce $1.5 million in net profit in a one year period while also increasing customer satisfaction and reducing customer wait time. Uh, by roughly 20 to 25%. So, you know, it's, it's been a theory that I've, I've really, when I discovered it, I dove into just to starting to understand it. And when I really understood it, things clicked for me. And I, I felt that I, I finally understood, at least from my perspective, that Simon Sinek's golden circle um, can I actually, I, I wrote it's wrong because I like to play devil's advocate and be a little incendiary. Some people like to throw bombs like me every once in a while. But what I realized is that the, the golden circle can actually be enveloped by this concept of jobs theory and it's included in it. And right. so I, I think that the better thing to say is not that Simon Sinek's golden circle is wrong, but rather that it's incomplete. And that jobs theory does a really good job of enveloping the golden circle and taking it a step further to make it far more causative and, and less correlative, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, you know, we can kind of dig into that uh, uh, a little bit. And just, just in case everybody's not you know, familiar with what we're, we're, we're talking about, um, I, I'm not going to draw it because for the sake of time. But you know, Simon Sinek, you know, his, his first book, Start With Why?, and, you know, he would draw this circle and, and it was like, all right, there's what, and then inside of that is how, and then inside of that is why. And there's this whole correlation he draws to the brain and how humans think. And he says that most, most companies talk from the what out. And so to use the example of, of Apple, he would say that most companies would say, we make really great computers. They're you know, intuitive and easy to use and, and wonderfully designed. Do you want to buy one? Right. It's for like what we're doing. This is how it's different, our differenti differentiator, whatever. And then this is just kind of it. And but it doesn't it doesn't inspire any kind of action. So Cynic said is like because humans are naturally emotionally driven, like all of our action, all of our behavior initiates from the emotional center of our brain, from the limbic center of our brain. And then it's rationalized with all these facts and figures and, and all these other things, all that data on the outside. So, you know, what, what Apple did to, to use that example will say like, we're, we're different. We're about thinking differently. We want to put a ding in the universe and, and we're, we're going to fight against the man, kind of all of these bigger concepts. And if that resonates with people, then they can say, and we do that by creating products that are beautifully designed and incredibly user-friendly. 
right? That's the, the, the how. And then the what is, and we just happen to make MP3 players and computers and, you know, uh, tablets and, and all that mess, whatever, computer products. But then people are inspired to buy like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And, and it, it, it latches people onto it and, and to the jobs theory, right? Part of that job that, that Sinek was getting into is that sense of belonging, right? And, and people are really kind of, people are really buying in it. And so kind of the proverbial saying that, that came out of that, that Sinek would repeat was, you know, people don't buy what you do, people buy why you do it. And, you know, I, I consider that to be kind of like a modern business proverb. Right. And you know, we got like, you know, historically or like biblically, the whole book of Proverbs. And it's like, you know, all these 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 great sayings of wisdom that you can't just take them at face value. Like there's a, there's a lot of deeper stuff that goes into to understanding them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a thorn bush in the in the hand of a, a or. Yeah. It's like a thorn, a thorn bush in the hand of a drunkard. Right. They just go around swinging around like, oh, blah, blah, and you make a big mess. And unfortunately, that is exactly what's happened with this one too, right? Like people don't buy what you do, people buy why you do it. And so I would be in like B&I and these other places and I'd, I'd, I'd tell people this or kind of explain that. And then they would get up and they'd say, well, you should, you know, you should buy for me. And like, this is why I do it. It's like, because I really love to travel and I'm doing this so that I can like spend more time with my grandkids. And I'm like, no, no, no. That, <laughs> like, here's the point And like, you're way over here. Like that's not, people aren't buying why that's still all about you. And, yeah. and, and like people are buying what you have because it says something about themselves or now to your point, like it's fulfilling some need that they have. It's doing a job that they need to have completed. That is the why. And yeah. You know, and then people like you see all these freaking politicians in the last decade, you know, they come out and they, you know, they're saying, well, I believe this, you know, just because Cynic said like five, you know, five minutes on uh, Martin Luther King or something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so aggravating. I completely agree. It drives me crazy, you know, and (laughs) full disclosure, Clayton Christensen is like my dashboard saint, you know, (laughs) he's like. Just reading his work has been very eye-opening to me. He kind of communicates to me and I think a way that Cynic communicates to you. And and so like <clears throat> for me, I, I think that the I can totally relate to when I hear people misapplying things like the theory of disruptive innovation or this jobs theory and not understanding what it is, not understanding what disruptive innovation is at all. Um, you know, so this jobs theory, right? Cynic talks about how it's got this foundation in the brain and, and you kind of hinted at it, like there's this customer's job, right? I, I spent some time thinking about it. And so this is kind of the science that makes, makes sense in my head as to why this relates. And so we've got some foundations in this concept of biology and economics and evolutionary psychology, right? So the biology is, is that humans have this innate drive to survive. The survival instinct is, is the strongest instinct that we have. Number two is probably the instinct to procreate according to most biologists. Sure. So that's number one. Now, number two is this concept of tools and technology, right? So in 
in economics, technology is just basically knowledge. It's, it's knowledge that society gets that they're able to use to produce more stuff. But if we synthesize that with this concept of biology, I would say that technology is knowledge that we get that allows us to survive and make our lives easier, right? So tools are when we take technology and turn it into a finite thing that we can use. This pen is a tool and it's an example of the technology we've, we've developed uh, with metal, with rubber, with plastics, with ink to create this 0.3 millimeter super rad pen that I love because it can write so thin and it makes my life easier. And because I can write thin, it, it somehow in my mind translates to an ability to survive, to, to better able to survive and, and meet that survival instinct. So that's kind of this foundation, right? We all have these jobs that in our lives, based on our lived experiences, we have this need to get done. And companies, without even really realizing it, tap into these jobs. And any company that can do that job and its related tasks better than anyone else, meet the customer's needs, um, gets more money. So one example that, that Clayton Christensen uses is this example of Ikea. So he says, Ikea is a super easy business to replicate. It's a super easy business to replicate because it's cheap labor, cheap materials. You put it together yourself. It's a giant warehouse, but no one has done it. There's very little barrier to entry, but no one's done it. They've tried. Walmart's kind of dipped their toe in there. Target's kind of dipped their toe in there, but they haven't really been super successful there. And, and the question is why? It's because Ikea is built around a customer's job to be done. And that job is, I need to furnish a room or I need to furnish an apartment and I have one day to do it. And so you can go to Ikea, you can spend all day in Ikea. They have a place for childcare so that you don't have a kid tugging on your sleeve complaining, when are we gonna be done? And they have a restaurant there so that you can go in the morning and you can go shop, go and eat lunch, and then go shop some more to make sure that you have everything that you need. And then it's all of this stuff is flat packed so you can load it into your car. If there's stuff that won't fit into your car, they have same day delivery that'll take it to your apartment. And by the end of the day, you've got everything that you need to furnish an apartment. Yep. And, and yep. when you do, when you ask people about this, they say, oh yeah, they react the same way that you did. You're like, holy cow. Yeah, that's totally true. And they don't even realize it because here's the thing. If you ask a customer, Hey, you know, um, what can I do to make this product better, to make this thing better so that you'll want to purchase it? They'll say, uh, I don't know. Add a, add a add an extra handle here or you know like cover this in the back and da, 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 which is what Walmart and Target were doing right and they're like yeah oh people just want this flat pack stuff and they're they're missing the bigger question like no exactly. you've got to do all these other jobs you've got to take care of the child care you've got to solve the bigger problems that people have going on because it's not just that they need a coffee table or they need a futon exactly Exactly. Uh, you, you hit the nail right on the head. They need to do these other things. And when people take this approach of just asking, you know, how can I make this thing better? They fail, right? So 
he shares a really interesting anecdote. Clayton Christensen does, and I get a kick out of it every time. Apparently, he's like the perfect demographic for McDonald's milkshakes. Okay. <laughs> and so they call him in and they say, hey, uh, what can we do to make our milkshakes better so that you'll buy more? Do you want it cheaper? Do you want it chocolatier? Do you want it chunkier? And he's like, you know, this is great and all, but the fact that I'm a white Christian male that's roughly 6'4", that ha is married this long, has this many kids, you know, I live in this place, have this job, none of that caused me to buy a milkshake from you, McDonald's. And, and one of the problems that we have in business and in marketing is that we fundamentally misunderstand this relationship between correlation and causation. Yeah. We, we think that correlation is causation, but correlation is just, hey, these two things are happening at roughly the same rate. So they're related. Causation Ice is- Ice cream sales go up in the summer, right? Yes. Big yes. shock. Well, so do murder rates, but that doesn't mean that ice cream is causing murder to go up. Precisely, you, you nailed it, Will. But, but causation is, hey, it's summer, it's hotter outside, people want something to cool off, so they're eating more ice cream because ice cream is cool and it helps them cool off, right? right? right. So, so correlation does not equal causation, and, but causation is the thing that triggers a purchasing decision. Yeah. And, and so if you can understand that purchasing trigger, then you can sell more stuff. And so he basically talked McDonald's into letting him do, do a research project for them. Okay. And he went down to Atlanta and he was observing people buying these milkshakes. And he went from when the store opened to when the store closed at night. And what he noticed is that there were two times when people would buy the most milkshakes. One was between like six and eight. And the other was like seven to nine at night. So it was like six to eight in the morning and seven to nine at night. And they thought, wow, this is really weird. What's going on here? And so they, they went back a week later and they started talking to the customers and they were asking this question, what is the job that you hired that milkshake to do? Or in other words, you know, you have this thing that you want this milkshake to do. When was the last time you hired something else to do that job? And what was it? And they said, well, you know, I just have this long commute and I can drive with one hand, but this hand doesn't have anything in it. And so it gets kind of boring. And so I just need something in that hand. And I need something that's going to like sit in my stomach and, and until 10 a.m. and just won't make me sick. And so I've tried bananas. Bananas don't work. I've tried uh, donuts, but they get really sticky. Uh, I tried a bagel, but bagels are really bland. So you need like a, some kind of a schmear to go on it. And then you have to like drive with your knee while you're trying to schmear on the bagel. And I've tried a Snickers bar and I just felt so guilty. I'm never going to do that again. So like this McDonald's milkshake is just perfect because it's, it's so viscous and that straw is so thin. It takes me 20 minutes to suck it up the straw, which is exactly my morning commute. And, you know, then in the evening time, the job was different. And it was, you know, I've said no to my kids all day. I just want something that I can do that makes me feel like a good parent. And when they say, Hey dad, Hey mom, can I have a McDonald's milkshake? I can say, sure. Why not? And go. so like understanding this job, it allowed them to get a better grip on who McDonald's was actually competing with. 
in the morning, McDonald's was not competing with Burger King or Wendy's. Or even uh, Dairy milkshake. Queen, right? Where they yeah. go get another milkshake. Exactly. They were competing with bagels and bananas and all of these different things. And understanding the job allowed them to know what they could do to improve that product so that customers would buy more of it. Because it was better at serving that job, right? Exactly. And this is, and this is where we... And you know, where, where one of our, our discussion points got into, like, and, and you made a very valid point, like nobody was buying McDonald's milkshakes because, you know, McDonald's was coming out and, and, and having a good kumbaya message and getting down to like, you know, a bigger why about the personal identity. Like maybe that that's always there in terms of the brand. But at the end of the day, they just wanted to be a good parent. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe McDonald's is in there and kind of in, in some way more so than, than Burger King. And that's where I where I think what you said before about the 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 envelope, you know, kind of bringing it in. It's like. And, and I, I said this about Cynic too, like they, they would constantly compare like Apple and IBM, like the the you remember the old commercials where it was like, I'm a PC and I'm a Mac. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're drawing that clear distinction. But the point of the, the, the real point to understand is that only becomes relevant when somebody's ready to buy a computer. Mm -hmm. There was a job that they needed to have done before they start making that uh, choice and going through that process, right? Exactly. Uh, if you're trying to just appeal to the masses with this idea of why or who you are or your brand to build trust, well, you first have to understand that that trust is going to... Uh, it needs to be focused on the people that are actually interested or could actually use, actually have a job for you to do. And so like in, in, in the analogy that we use uh, when we're planning strategy and, and marketing and sales campaigns, you know, I, I compare everything to, to farming. And also like we say that branding is a lot about preparing the soil, building trust and credibility, creating this fertile environment. But that's not the first step. The first step is always planning. What are you selling and who are you selling it to? And then how mm -hmm. do you position it to them? Only mm -hmm. once you have that, can you focus in there and say, all right, now how do we craft a message that resonates with them, that builds trust, that shows shared experience and shared belief and all of those other things. And people exactly. try to make too general of, uh, of a brand that it, that that resonates with the masses, even though the only people that buying that are buying from them are a very very narrow select group, and that's I, I believe that's a, a huge mistake that people make, in in not asking themselves first, who is my customer, what's their job that they have to do, what am I selling, and who am I selling it to? Yeah, I I love this, I yeah. I love this, and I completely agree because. Here's the thing that I kind of realized as, as we had these conversations and as I've done more research is that jobs have two aspects, right? They have this functional aspect that can be very utilitarian. And a lot of the feedback that I got in that, in that discussion was just like, but there's this emotional component. And, and they're absolutely right. Like, yes, jobs have an emotional component to them as well. So it's not just functional. You also have this emotional component. So it's like, I, for me, right. I try to be athletic. I, I feel like sometimes I succeed more than others, but you know, I've having spent two years in Taiwan and in Asia, I feel very connected to the Chinese culture. 
And so I, I like to keep tabs on what's going on in China. And when I first learned about the Uyghur genocide and learned that the Chinese Communist Party was literally enslaving millions of people um, and learned that there were about 80 companies in the United States that were using this slave labor like Nike and Nintendo and Victoria's Secret and Tommy Hilfiger, uh, all of these different companies. When I learned that, it was, it, for me, it was like, okay, I can't shop these companies anymore. Yeah. Because that was an emotional part of my job. So there was this functional part, which was, yeah, I need great shoes that are going to make it so that I can do cross training, go running or, you know, go to the gym and lift weights. But at the same time, I need to feel good that I'm not supporting human enslavement. Right. Yeah. And, and so I stepped at that point, I, I make a purchase to purchase decision. That's like, okay, I'm not going to purchase that anymore because Nike is no longer doing the job that I want to hire it to do. Right. Still making a, a, a shoe that's functional, but it's not in alignment with, with your why, what you believe, how the world is supposed to be, all of, uh, all of those things. And, you know, that, I think that was, I, I saw in a couple of other threads in that conversation, you know, people kind of getting down, it's like, everything's not just functional. And I have that, that conversation with folks too. So I, I, my, my hobby is wood turning. Right. And so I'll like, I'll make pins for folks and things beautiful like that. pen, by the way, thank you very much. And, um, you know, I get in these forums sometimes and people talk about like, Oh, what do you charge this, that, and the other. And if, if you've ever gone in or gone to an art show, like you can find a guy that's probably selling like hand-turned wooden pins. Maybe they'll, you know, you might find one for 25 bucks. Right. And then you can go to a, down the, the, aisle or whatnot and and or go online and you can find these handmade pins that are you know 2500 bucks right mm -hmm. and, and you know people get in the forums and they're like how can anybody like charge that da, da, da. you know it doesn't cost me and they they have you know a whole cost basis uh pricing model which is a whole different topic to, to talk about uh you know and and i'm like just un understand something guys like even even your $25 pin, nobody's buying your $25 pin because they need something to write with. Because a $3 uh, you know, Pilot G3 writes pretty much as well as a Mont Blanc. Like there's <laughs> not that much of a difference. Not as good, but not $175 different, right? To, to, to go get a basic you know, your basic entry level Mont Blanc is $175. Like nobody is buying a Mont Blanc because they, uh, they, they, they need something to sign their name with. They're mm -hmm. buying it because, you know, that's like one of the few pieces of jewelry that's acceptable for a man or something like it's a status symbol. Like they're buying it because yeah. of who they're, what it's saying about them. Like that's the job. Like I need something that's going to make a statement beyond just how I sign my name. I need somebody mm -hmm. to know that I'm doing well and that I'm, uh, you know, I have an appreciation for something or whatever it is. It's something other than just the pure function at the at the time. But the function is included in that, right? If the Mont right. Blanc pen didn't write, you'd be like, no, I'm not paying $175 for a pen that oh. doesn't write. Absolutely. Right. And I, I, I remind people that too. So they're like, oh, this marketing BS. I'm like, no, understand like that $25,000 Birkin bag, like it is an excellently made bag. Like the quality on it is beyond. Now, does somebody need rhodium fastings inside of a bag to hold it shut? 
No. Do they need, I, you know, whatever, like the, the hair of a young child from Southeast New Zealand or whatever, sewn into, I don't know, whatever it is. Like, no, like obviously that to, to make that function, but it's a quality, it's not some piece of crap that's going to fall apart in, in five years. Like the quality is super high there. It's just the price is taking in all these other jobs that it's actually doing for somebody that exactly. some people value and some people don't and some people can't. Right. But that's all the subjective, uh, the subjective side of things. But it is still fulfilling a job for somebody. Exactly. And that's the key. Right. So like the, the way that I look at it is if with jobs, right, as, especially as related to businesses, if we were to build a pyramid um, the base level of the pyramid would be the function. Can the thing that you're selling actually do what you say it can do? That, that is what initially draws the customer in. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You need to have that basic need met before you can step up to the next tier, yeah. right? So it's physical, and then it starts to get more and more and more esoteric. So the base is the function. Then the second level is the emotional job that you're hiring that thing to do, which is, does it make me feel cool? Does it look good on me? Does this dress make my butt look fat? You know, (laughs) then after that is the mission. That's the business. Why? That's the, you know, we've become a alignment with my principles and my values. Do I want to support that? Do I? Yes. Yeah. Is that, you know, who's this say, what is it saying about me as a person? Those types of things. Yeah. So I know we're, we're, we're coming up to the, to the, 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 the end here and, and, and where we have to sign off. So I want to make sure we have some time that people can go and connect with you. So, you know, if people want uh, to, to do that, to connect, to see what you're up to, to follow you or in, in your company, uh, what are the best ways to, to come and connect with you? You know, the best ways to connect with me right now are just through LinkedIn or Facebook. My profile is just Zachary Stuckey. Uh, so Zachary is Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y Stuckey, spelled like the word stuck with an I at the end. Um, and my email, you know, always feel free to hit me up on email. It's just Zach, Z-A-C, at HomericConsulting.com. Homeric is spelled like Homer Simpson with an I-C at the end. Okay. All right. And then they can just look up Zachary Stuckey on LinkedIn as well. And you should pop up right there. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, I, uh, I, I hope this is kind of like reshaped how, how we are positioning, uh, you know, our products and our services. Are we thinking about, you know, not just who we're selling it to, but what is the job that they have for us to, to, to do? What are they really hiring you, you or your product to do? And uh, all these thoughts and ideas and tips that, uh, that Zach is surprised with today. I hope you can take it and go get your hands dirty. Have a great day.